0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores!
1: Yeah, Carlson. Yes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted today by a guy who's trying to get into the conversation as one of the hardest-working people in hockey, outside of Connor Hellebuck, of course. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. We've got a really fun show for you today. I talked with Murat Atesh about the Winnipeg Jets at the second annual Marat Atesh and we had a blast working through all of the players on the Jets and talking about the team's prospects moving forward, both their prospects in terms of young players and their prospects. He was a, I meant in, in two different ways. Uh, that's the quality content you get here at Keeping Carlson. Okay, so before I get to my interview with Murat Atesh, let me just mention that we are presented by DabberHockey.com, the number one fan hockey website in the world. Proudly presented by them because it's the place to go for all of your articles about fantasy year round even now in the off season plus they've got all the great tools of frozen tools that I use to prep these interviews so definitely check it out dauberhockey.com but with that I will not blabber any further because I've got a nice fun interview to present to you with Marat Tesh about the Winnipeg Jets enjoy Okay, everybody, super excited to bring you this week's Beat Writer interview. I've got a gem for you because I'm being joined by the Winnipeg Jets beat writer Marat Atesh for the second year in a row to talk all about the Jets. Welcome back to Kevin Carlson, Marat.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. I'm very excited for this.
1: Nice. Yeah, well, we had such a fun chat last year about this Jets team that just, you know, keeps you know making the playoffs, looking strong. They had that one year where they made it to the conference finals against Vegas, and obviously that didn't work out so well. And then this season, again, like kind of, like, a solid, but I guess ultimately disappointing season. Like, they came third in the North. They swept the Oilers, which was really exciting. Then they got swept themselves and, like, completely dominated by the Canadians after Shifley got suspended for the series. Uh, many people forget that the reason why that sweep of the Oilers was so surprising was Winnipeg really limped into the playoffs. Right? They had lost seven in a row starting in mid-April. They only won three of their last five before the playoffs started. So... I guess before we start digging into specific players, I'm really curious just to get your thoughts on this team as a whole at this point. Like, they've got a lot of talent. To me, I don't know why. Like, tell me if I'm wrong here. They're kind of striking me currently as, like, uh, the Minnesota Wild-esque middle-of-the-road team where it's hard to imagine, like, what's the next step they'll take. I know you just recently wrote an article on The Athletic of, like, 10 steps they can take. So maybe if they do all those 10 steps, they'll get forward. But, yeah, like, do you think that they're, like, still in this window of being a contender and they could potentially still move forward next season? Or do you think we should be expecting them to continue treading water or maybe even taking a step back?
0: Well, I think that the awkward, mushy, middle Minnesota wild analysis, like, I mean, if you're looking at this team right now in, you know, a short-term view, there is some truth to that. And I think that fighting against that in like that eventuality is exactly where the Winnipeg Jets are right now. I think that it's absolutely true with their defense, the way that it is. Right. I mean, when uh, you have Dustin Bufflin, Uh, You know, decide not to play hockey anymore. You lose Tyler Myers, Ben Sherratt, the summer before Toby Enstrom, you know, Jacob Truba traded. Neil Piont comes back. That's a good story. But essentially, Winnipeg lost five top four defenders in the span of about a year and a month, give or take. And they've not recovered from that. So instead of being that perennial contender that they were in 2018 Western Conference final run, okay, they're on the way up, 2019, they're thought of as a favorite for a long time, injuries hit, they don't recover as well from those injuries as they should. They get beaten by the St. Louis Blues and okay, you still think that that's a very good team. But since those defense situations emerged and Winnipeg's yet to recover from that, now you wonder. How are they going to take the next step? Is Ville Hainalov going to be promoted and then good enough soon enough for them to take advantage of their strong forwards and goaltending? Is Dylan Sandberg going to be a factor? How good will Logan Stanley be? Or maybe more ideally, is there an answer from outside the organization? Because Winnipeg needs top-end talent on defense now, or else perhaps a Minnesota Wild-esque future is in the cards for them.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you're bringing up the D as sort of the big hole on the team. Last year when we talked, you know, we mentioned how the, they did really well overall, and a lot of it was because of Connor Hellebuck just having this insane Vesna-winning season, which maybe, you know, put a Band-Aid over some of the defensive problems. And this year, Hellebuck was still really good, right? He had a 916 save percentage in his 45 games, not as good as the 922 the year before, but still, like, I guess stood on his head. He also, like played the most games of any goalie in the league he ran away with the lead for most shots against of any goalie in the league he had 100 more shots than second place Vasilevsky so I guess improving the defense would help but I wonder is there also a sense that maybe the Jets want to give uh Maybe Hellebuck a little bit of a break, maybe like uh, ease his workload a bit. I see that uh, Laurent Brossois is a UFA this summer, so they're going to have to figure out something in net. Do you know if their plan is to try to get one of these UFA goalies or is it just going to be like promote someone like an Eric Comrie or Mikhail Burden from the HL?
0: I think that you know Laurent Brassois is actually is a viable contender for that backup job once again. Uh-huh. And even if it isn't him, even if it is one of the there's so many UFA goalies this summer. It seems like especially you know backup types. I think Connor Hellebuck's workload is continue to it's going to continue to be old school. So I know you talk about fantasy sometimes and starts and saves and all of those sorts of things. I mean in a league where teams like Boston and St Louis and um, I want to say Washington, but Boston and St. Louis are the two that really come to mind have split goaltending duties. Like there, there's a real 1A, 1B movement in the NHL that's beginning to build. In Winnipeg, it's not that case. Connor Hallebuck is the guy. As much as we might make arguments why it would be good to lessen his workload, a few less starts, all of that sort of stuff. I don't think that's the reality. I don't think that's what's coming for him. If it is Versoil or, or no matter who it is, uh, I don't think. Comrie's quite ready for an NHL job. I don't see him as a long-term NHL player. Mikhail Burden's probably a year away, so I really think it's got to be a veteran of some kind. So I think Hellebuck's workload is cut out for him. The only way to reduce it is to make his life easier when he is in the crease, and that comes from those defensive upgrades I keep harping about.
1: Yeah, well, I guess there are also a lot of free agent defensemen out there. So I guess I might as well ask you, do you think that the Jets are going to be in the market for a big signing to help if they're not going to be uh, helping in in net?
0: Well, it's tough to be the Winnipeg Jets looking for big UFA help. That's a reality. I love the city. I've lived here for 18 years or whatever it is, right? But I think NHL-wide, you do see the team appear on enough no trade lists and things like that whenever players are pulled that, you know, it's... It doesn't have that cachet. So Winnipeg's had to be smart and, and timely with its UFA signings in the past. They got good value for a while from Matthew Perreault. Um Dmitry Kulikov, they spent four plus million on. He ended up being a third-pairing defenseman for them. So Winnipeg isn't your you know A1 um, cream-of-the-crop, top-of-the-class UFA destination as a general rule. So I'm not expecting a huge splash. But there are still some impact defensemen in that in that middle tier. And, you know, if Jamie Oleksiak shakes loose, if David Savard, you know, decides that the Stanley Cup was all he ever wanted in Tampa Bay and maybe he's looking at other places to, to be beside his old teammate Pierre-Luc Dubois or something like that, there are viable top four defensemen, you know, probably second pair of ceiling types available out there. i got to say, Elan, though, like I – It's so tough. I I struggle to project a surefire UFA solution for the Winnipeg Jets. It might have to be a trade, and it might have to be promoting the youth like a Billy Hanala.
1: Okay, well, I might as well ask you about Hanila then. If he sounds like he's like the answer to all the problems. Uh, by the way, I wanted to mention quickly with the goalies, though. Uh, like, I guess I I used to think also that like Montreal was one of these teams where like Carey Price was going to play all the time. And they went and got Jake Allen, so I wonder if you know. Then now they made it to the Cup final, so I, I wonder if maybe Paul Maurice and like the organization looks at that. And says, oh maybe if we ease Hellebuck's workload, he'll like be better in the playoffs. But anyways, who knows? I guess you you're saying you don't think it's a good gonna case happen. to be
0: made. Like you have the evidence. I absolutely support that.
1: So yeah, Heinola, uh, you stated last year when I talked to you that he was like the most exciting D prospect on the team. I was asking about a few other guys, Sammy, Nikudil, and Samberg. You're like, no, no, it's Heinola. He's the guy. Uh, This year, he had a busy season. I see when you look at his Elite Prospects page, he played like four different teams. He was in Liga. He played in the World Junior Championships. He was in Manitoba. Even got five games with the Jets. Uh, After accumulating a year more of data, are you still as high on Heinola as you were when we talked about him last year? Like, do you think he'll make the team next season? Uh, One of our patrons wanted to know if he's going to get any power play times? Yeah, what's your updated prospectus about Vili Hainala?
0: Well, I absolutely remain high on his future as an NHL player. I think that all he did this year was take what he did last season and consolidate it across a few different leagues. If you look at his league of numbers and they post possession stats, he was a play driver for his team in Luco Rauma. Um, he was able to generate offense for them as well as playing a strong all-around defensive game. At the world juniors we learned i think if we watched that really closely and this is something a lot of people don't notice when they watch a, a smaller highly skilled highly intelligent player like Hanula. he's mean he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder <laughs> he lays lumber into people he gaps very quickly and aggressively um, and then when you transition back into the Moose, and again, Jacob Stoller, who who works for the Moose, is keeping track of some possession data for them as well. And Hainala was just exceptional in that league. Um, I'm willing to say at this point, he's very nearly too good for that league and he's ready for an NHL job. The five games was a, a source of consternation amongst uh, prospect lovers and future files or whatever you might say um, in Winnipeg this year. I think he's ready for that next step. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his ELC has to get burned at some point. And I think this, this coming year will be it. Milan, um, do I think he's going to get power play time? Not so much. I think that's a Josh Morrissey job. I think it's a Neil Pionk job, primarily in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's slow to promote youth to those premier positions. So I don't think that you're going to see a huge offensive season from him because that opportunity won't come
1: right yeah so it'll be cool for him to make the team maybe he'll help the team overall but not like a target for fantasy at least for next year maybe not the biggest offensive role but hopefully he'll help uh, fewer pucks go towards the net uh, so you brought up David Savard and saying how maybe he'll want to come back and play with his friend Pierre-Luc Dubois I definitely want to ask you about Dubois That was like probably the biggest story out of Winnipeg this season was that huge trade uh, swapping disgruntled players I guess Columbus sent over Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic for Pierre-Luc Dubois the Jets like clearly needed another top Six, and we've been talking about it like last year. And like Brian and I have been talking about the podcast forever, right? Ever since Brian Little got hurt, they've just been like signing these stop gaps, like Hayes and then Stasny, who was on the team last year. uh Dubois looked like, you know, he's been a solid, like 60 ish point top line guy, getting big minutes, even strength on the power play for Tortorella and the Blue Jackets. But then he arrived in Winnipeg, and things didn't go as well for the uh, 2016 third overall pick under Paul Maurice. After a couple big games early, he was pretty much a non factor, at least fantasy wise. He ended the season with a only 21 points in 46 games. I see his uh, you know, time on ice was way down. He didn't take Linea's top power play spot. That went to uh, Stasny. I saw for most of the season, and he only averaged 15 minutes of ice time overall, down from like near 18 minutes that he was seeing on Columbus. So, I guess I'm very curious. to know, first of all, like, how are you feeling about this trade? Like, one season in, like, do you think the Jets would trade back if they could? Uh, and I, I also was thinking, like, it's not like Linea did much better on Columbus. I wonder if the players would want to trade back to where they were more successful.
0: Yeah, you know what? I I wonder deep down, and I might write this just for the fun of it, so if you're listening out there and you also write, please do not steal this from me, Uh but I have ideas for how to quantify how much money Patrick Line left on the table by not being a Winnipeg Jet this year. And the reason I say that was, I mean, at 22 turning 23, this is the beginning of a peak age bracket for offensive production. Any of the offensive curves based on age that you look at a real offensive peak forms about 22, 23, last till about 28 years old. Patrick Laine was on the upswing of that. He was going to have the bet, whether it was Scheifele or whether it was Paul Stastny as he started with, he was going to have a top six quality center for the full length of the season. He had a huge opening game. I think it was three points, the overtime winner. And then he gets hurt and he gets traded. I'm thinking to myself, like, he was every possible system was go for him to have a huge offensive year he gets traded doesn't he's left money on the table Pierre-Luc Dubois it's almost the opposite in in a way now I we still don't know what situation he was leaving in Columbus right that's one of the things he's never spoken to nobody said exactly what the conflict was or why he wanted out as badly as he did um, but to your point he is ostensibly a second line center for the foreseeable future. Same age bracket as Patrick Laine is building his resume, a great number two to Mark Shifley. We just didn't see it this year. We really didn't. And whether it was the two week quarantine he was made to undergo sort of interrupting his rhythm, whether it was the fact that not long after his strong start, he got hurt and then missed a bunch more time, uh, whether it was chemistry issues, building trust with the coach. We We never saw that lightning quick play driving Um, straight-line speed guy who can protect the puck with his body and make plays in the middle of the ice, that the video shows is a very real version of Pierre-Luc Dubois. So it's been a disappointing first season. Um, It was a disappointing playoffs as well. He told us afterwards he wasn't injured, so that we can't really point to that as as an excuse. All I can say is that for him and for the team, um, a big step back towards his old production totals is exactly what everybody is cheering for and will be working for in every possible respect. I think that we should expect to see that. um, But until we see it in a Winnipeg Jets uniform, I think everybody's going to have just a little bit of a question mark in the back of their minds.
1: Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing I want to say that he's like a good sleeper in fantasy for next year because he's not going to be on anyone's radars after the season, especially if you're like looking at rankings of last year's stats. But at the same time, like you say, like maybe it's just like not a good fit for him, but you think it should be, right? He was playing with uh, Nikolai Ehlers for a lot of the year who had like a career year, right? He had this amazing... It was so wild. Listening back to my interview with you last year, we were talking about his 2019-20 season where Ehlers had 58 points in 71 games. At that point, it was his best ever season, a 67-point pace. And I was asking if you thought his production could be. Sustainable? You said, yeah, I think that's the real Nikolai Ehlers. I think, but like, I didn't even like think to ask you like, is he going to get like so much better? I actually did ask you like, if he ever got power play time or top power play time, could he be a point per game guy? And you were like, yeah, I think he could. But turned out he didn't even need the top power play time. He only saw thirty four percent of the team's power play time this season, but he still picked up somehow thirteen power play points, I guess, from the second unit, and he had forty six points overall in forty seven games. So he did take that step forward to be, you know, a point per game guy. Uh, So I guess now I'll just repeat the same question I asked you last year, but just with updated numbers. Like, do you think what we saw this past year is reflective of what we should expect from Ehlers moving forward? Is this guy like potentially a a point-per-game player, even without top power play time? And then, then, I don't know, could I go crazy and say like 90-plus point guy if he ever did find a spot uh, uh, with the man advantage?
0: Well, he is Winnipeg's best forward, and I don't think the rest of the world knows it. Right. in the league that hasn't noticed that Nick is a is a special player, um, it would be a good time to seize upon him at this stage for sure. One of my favorite Nick Ehlers stats is this. If you look at his power play time, which like you pointed out, not very much, and his even strength time, combine them. He scores more points per minute than any other Winnipeg Jet, including the ones who play twice as much on the power play as he does. He is just an excellent offensive player transitions the puck extraordinarily well. Um, he's not riding crazy high shooting percentages or on ice percentages for his teammates. He genuinely drives play. He's that fast. He's that difficult to control. He shoots that well and he passes that well in a dangerous areas. And then the, to your, to your question, you know, where do these guys get more points from? Is it possible? And you look at role. He was not a first unit power play player. Um, that is holding back his points totals. It, it, it boggles my mind, honestly, at this stage, that he's he hasn't been used in that role because he's that dangerous on the power play. And if he moves from the second to the first unit, we're looking at a points explosion. It's the same thing in a weird roundabout way, and I know we want to talk about this as well. A couple years ago, Blake Wheeler went from being one of the best five-on-five players in the NHL and getting zero recognition for it to... A 91-point player for two straight seasons on the back of just an enormous power play explosion. So a lot of the times, a player's end-of-year points total is about opportunity. Nick Eulers isn't getting 100% of his right now, so I continue to believe that he has more to show offensively. It's just a matter of Paul Maurice tapping him on the shoulder for that first unit.
1: Right. And hey, Paul Stasny is a UFA and he spent most of the season on the top unit. So potentially there's an open spot. But we've seen over the years, like no matter who got injured on Winnipeg, Ehlers is never getting that tap on the shoulder. Uh, By the way, I need to give you some kudos. I asked you at the end of last year's interview, like who's going to be the biggest surprise and who's going to be like the biggest disappointment. And you picked Ehlers to be the surprise, not in terms of like surprise that he's good, but I guess like, you know, that he'll do even better than people are expecting him. And he totally did. And actually, the player who you picked to be the biggest disappointment, I think I'll say you also got it. Right. You predicted Kyle Connor to be disappointing to people thinking that he could continue to like build and do even better potentially than his like 40 goal plus, like 80 plus point pace from 2019 20. And you're right. Like for sure, he still had a great year, but he put up 26 goals and 50 points, which is a pace of like around 38 goals and, and 73 points. So like a small step back. Like I said, still really great. Uh, and let, so last year, I asked you who would score more goals between Connor and line A. Uh, you picked Line, a, which technically was wrong, but of course that was assuming Winnipeg would be the team that Line a was playing for. So I don't think that counts. So how about for this year's Pick'em? Let's assume Shifley we'll talk about Shifley in a bit, actually. I didn't even Shifley's so funny because he's like seems like such a steady guy that I didn't even ask you about him last year when I was listening back I was like, oh I didn't even ask him about Shifley. But anyways, uh, like assume Shifley will lead the team in points. Who do you who do you predict will come second between Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers?
0: I think you've named the two men who will be in consideration. I really I, I just I don't want to be Charlie Brown with that football, but I really think that I'm ready to see Nick Ehlers on that top power play unit. Right. And if he does get that role, I think it's going to be Nick Ehlers. Without that time, you're going to see Kyle Connor uh, probably um, score, the, score quite a lot of points again. And again, just going back to that opportunity concept, with Patrick Lanning on the Winnipeg Jets, Kyle Connor was never going to be the primary shooter on Winnipeg's top power play unit. He did get a ton of power play minutes, a ton of even strength minutes, and even PK minutes in the last few years. And that's why I was saying, look, like, hold your horses, guys. You know, the way that young players, you look at that end of season point total, it goes up and you're like, it's going to go up forever. That's why I said, hold, like, pump the brakes on Kyle Connor. He was already getting maxed out opportunity in terms of the ice time he got. But the one area he got a little bit better of this year was on that first power play unit, he was in more of a shooter's role. So hopefully that's something for him he's able to grow into. Um, But I think Winnipeg's power play becomes the most deadly when you have Connor on one side of the ice and Ehlers on the other. They're both part of it. And if they are both part of it, I think Ehlers walks away with that point total because, like I say, points per minute, nobody can touch Nick Ehlers on the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Okay, so that'll be a fun one to check back in next year. Obviously, you're going to do well if you draft either of these guys in fantasy. And probably you'll be able to get Ehlers a little later than Connor, even though Ehlers uh, paced for more points this year. But I think people just assume that Kyle Connor, like you say, because of the opportunity. And at the risk of making this like the power play show the whole time, might as well just finish the, this story by switching over to D. Because uh, one player that we talked about last year was, of course, Neil Pionk, who took over the job as the top power play quarterback. And I asked you, you know, if what he did last year was sustainable. And you pretty much Said, like you didn't see any reason why he would lose that top power play job. Like we concluded, like it'd been two great years. He's a power play stud. Uh but then like right out of the gate uh in 2021-22 coach Paul Maurice I guess he listened to the show and was like you know what Marat, let's let's knock him down a peg he made too many <laughs> predictions that were correct so he like right at the start like started rolling a power play one of, of Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, Stasny, and Josh Morrissey bumping Pionk to the second power play with Ehlers, Cop Perot, and eventually Dubois if you look at the total minutes of the season of course like to Pionk's credit like he didn't let the demotion affect him like at all he he just picked up the pace at even strength he, at the end of the season he had 32 points and 50 four games, 10 on the power play, but that's a 49-point pace, which is right around his 52-point pace from the year before. So I guess uh, any sense of why this happened? Like, why did Morrissey and Pionk get swapped when Pionk seemed like he was doing such a great job? Like, I know there were a lot of theories that had to do with handedness, and like Liney a, line a being gone was like the catalyst, potentially, for the change. But, yeah, Is that is that like what it was, like a handedness thing?
0: That's the, you know, in, in a world where I like to believe the simplest answer usually has some truth to it, that is it to me. Because Winnipeg's power play with Patrick Laine as a primary shooter used to revolve around having three right-handed options that um, Blake Wheeler could fire one time passes to. So whether it was Mark Scheifele in the slot, Patrick Lanning on the far side, or Neil Peonk at the top of the ice. Now, Peonk doesn't have an absolute cannon, so as a one time option, it wasn't as big of a threat, but handedness has dictated his top power play role, I think, last year, as well as some of Morrissey's struggles, I think it would be fair to say. Um, but As much as he produced an incredible amount of points, and I did a video piece on this as well, like he just keeps getting a soft wrist shot through, somebody deflects it, something good happens, and you watch it and you wonder with Pionk, how, where do all these points come from? I I was so compelled, I wrote a video piece being like, let's dissect every single one and figure out how he does it. It's not with a huge cannon. And I think that there was some thought in Winnipeg as well that his pass to Patrick Liney from the top to to Liney on his off wing was a little slow. It didn't have as much pace to it. He wasn't quite a perfect quarterback, so maybe mix it up. So I think that semi-criticism of a guy who did produce a lot combined with the handedness argument, combined with perhaps Josh Morrissey, second year of his big salary raise, you know, got the letter on his jersey. He's ostensibly just a major part of this team going forward, but he struggled. And I don't think that he Josh Morrissey excelled on that power play or at five-on-five the way that you might hope for from him at this stage, which leaves us with a big mystery heading into next season about who's going to get that job.
1: Yeah, though, it kind of seems like regardless of who gets the job, it seems like Neil Pionk is like the eelers. He's going to figure out his way to get points. And from what we saw from Morrissey, it's like even if he does get the job, like he had 60% of the team's power play time this past season. He still only managed 21 points in 56 games overall. So are we at a point now where like regardless of the power play, like people should feel confident that like Neil Pionk you know, lock him in for like 45 to 50 point pace and Josh Morrissey, like good luck expecting anything more than like a, I mean, he had a drop, like, to be fair, this was like his worst season actually. So Josh Morrissey used to be around a 40 point guy for the past couple of years. This season he pays for only around 31. Like maybe was it just a bad luck thing for Morrissey. I'm very curious to know like actually what caused Morrissey to decline even with like an improved opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, these last two seasons have been a big step back and I think that the you know, storyline-wise, the moment where you see Josh Morrissey stop looking like a top-pairing defenseman and start looking like a top-four guy who struggles sometimes is Jacob Truba's trade away. And from that time, cycling through all of Josh Morrissey's partners, they promoted Tucker Pullman primarily, who's been either a third-pairing defenseman who excels when sheltered or an AHL defenseman for a really long time. They shoehorned him into a top-pairing role with Josh Morrissey. They never found the chemistry. And I don't want to absolve Morrissey for his own struggles because there's times where he simply you know, handles the puck in a way that looks un esque and we we're left to question. But I think that Morrissey had a good thing partnership-wise going, has not replaced that. Um, there have been you know, this year they gave Nathan Bolio playing through a torn labrum in his shoulder to Josh Morrissey on the top pair. Two lefties, Morrissey played on his offhand. I don't know how you look at that and expect good results to come from it. So there's just some contextual things that may be making Josh Morrissey's life a lot harder than it needs to be. When the Jets gave him Dylan DeMello, and I know we want to talk about the playoffs, I'll save my Dylan DeMello deep dive for, for that section. But over the past two seasons, no partner has been a better possession player with Josh Morrissey than Dylan DeMello has. And I think he's the only one with whom Morrissey's above 50 percent of shot attempts, expected goals, the rest of things. And I think that partnership is disproportionately important to Josh Morrissey uh, than, than even I thought it was. So if you're waiting for your draft and you're sizing up, should I pick him up? I'd be looking at the rest of Winnipeg's defense core and just how much of a veteran presence that Morrissey is being lined up with to see what you might be able to expect from him.
1: Interesting. Okay, so we'll have to wait. I guess like we were saying, we'll see what they could do in UFA, see who gets called up from the minors, and maybe Morrissey gets a better uh, partner Okay, so uh, add him in the list with Pierre-Luc Dubois, guys, who no one are going to be thinking about that maybe could do something better this year. hard for them to do worse, anyways. Okay, so I did want to talk about the playoffs. I want to talk about it in the context of Mark Scheifele. So we have a patron in, in our Discord, Ryan, who loves pointing out he he hates the Habs. Uh, he's going to love that I'm calling him out here. And he's always telling people, like, yeah, the Habs made it to the finals, but they were just lucky. Like, you know, Tavares got injured in the first round, and Scheifele got suspended in the second round. And I think it was before, like, like Chandler Stevenson got injured in the third round. I don't know what the reason was for the third round i think that anyway uh like the, but that is kind of the narrative right it's like the mark shifley got suspended and he's like such a critical part of the jets team that like they like didn't have a chance at that point and like maybe i'm simplifying things obviously but like i said like i didn't even ask you about him last year he's had four straight seasons before this one of just basically near-identical point pace. It's just around a point per game. This year, he actually even took a step forward. He led the team with 63 points in 56 games. It's a 92-point pace, which kind of reminds me of, like, Wheeler, who, you like you know, he had been that reliable, like, 70-75-point 70 to 75 point guy that just, like, exploded for his, like, 92-point season. That was a bit of a breakout, like, late in his late 20s, just like Shifley is now. So, like all that said is like how big of a loss was shifley in the playoffs like the jets like cruised by the oilers they were looking good shifley gets suspended and all of a sudden they get dominated by the halves i know you wrote an article all about this on the athletics so people should definitely go read it but if you want to give a give a summary like what do you think is the reason why the jets lost to the halves and like how big of a part was just shifley not being there
0: well i do want to qualify this by saying montreal outplayed Winnipeg in game one with Mark Scheifele in the lineup. And right. uh, I, I want to respect Scheifele's extreme contributions to the Winnipeg Jets' success. Like you say, he's an, a consistent offensive presence. He's dynamic enough to create things when when plays don't necessarily exist. He can use his, his big frame to protect the puck. He makes passes with just this precision timing that often he can find seams that defenders don't know are there necessarily. He makes Plays into the middle of the ice for himself, for his teammates. He creates offense, and that's really, you know, the biggest strength of, of Mark Scheifele's game. He can do it in a lot of different ways. Um, and then you got that first round against Edmonton, where he's sort of hard matched in a lot of ways against Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, or at least he's getting major minutes in that role um, for a, a substantial part portion of that sweep. And he plays some of the most committed defense that I've seen him play. In a season where he was literally benched for long shifts and not so much commitment to defense, and after two years of you know questionable two-way dominance, let's say um, that series against Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl was this really intelligent, thoughtful step forward in my mind for Shifley. Winnipeg changed how it forechecked. There was a, a need for players like Shifley to be more passive than their instincts would traditionally say. He committed to that made a couple mistakes but by and large played really well so this was a very good version of mark shifley that the winnipeg jets lost so to was ryan his name was ryan the person's name
1: oh to yeah Ryan. yeah
0: <laughs> ryan's point yeah that's a big loss that's definitely a big loss the other thing that happened for me in that series against montreal just uh, personnel wise first shift Josh Morrissey's partner, Dylan DeMello, who played with him for the first time in a long time in that sweep against Edmonton, gets injured. And I think that's an injury that we don't talk about as much because Shifley's suspension, first of all, was controversial. Not everybody agreed with the length of it. There's a Jimmy Evans injury. Um, Shifley's the famous player. But Dylan DeMello and Josh Morrissey played McDavid and Dreisaitl so well. And like I say, Morrissey is a bit partner dependent. You're looking at triple overtime against those two players. Morrissey and Demel are are carrying the mail for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, not only do you lose Demel, the partner who makes Josh Morrissey so good, but you do it in the opening shift. Jets play with five defensemen. They end up with lefty-lefty partners like Derek Forbert and Logan Stanley out for a shift. Um, The whole game gets thrown off. And Montreal genuinely scored off of some of that chaos to create the lead that led to the empty net goal that led to Shifley's hit and the suspension that came from it. So there's a lot of chaos in that. And I know this is a monologue, land, but I just I have to also say that all of that stuff aside, personnel aside, Montreal outplayed the Winnipeg Jets. Systems-wise, Montreal protected the middle of their ice. They broke down Winnipeg's defense. They got to the middle against Connor Hellebuck. When Winnipeg's forwards were trying to get, chances from the middle of the ice. They weren't able to do so because Winnipeg never succeeded in transitioning the puck. That defense with Ville Hainala not on it, I'm not saying he would have been the answer, but it lacked a puck moving presence. It got worn down by the Montreal Canadiens forecheck. It never figured out how to move the puck past that speed. So Winnipeg gets to the offensive blue line two on three, one on two, two on two, never with advantage. And they never get Possession of the puck with enough control in the offensive zone to justify moving in the, the middle of the ice, driving the net, getting those important high danger chances. So, system, systemically, Montreal outplayed the Winnipeg Jets, and I think that would have happened with or without Mark Scheifele in the lineup.
1: Okay, so, so there it is. So Habs fans can be uh, happy and like take solace in the fact that Moraditesh says that they would have won regardless. But yeah, obviously the Jets will be better next year, having Shifley and hopefully Dylan DeMello. I actually haven't looked into DeMello. Is he a free agent or is he like for sure coming back next year?
0: Three more years on his contract, but there's some talk that he may be uh, exposed for Seattle expansion. Morrissey C protected for sure. Then the battle between Logan Stanley and Dylan DeMello, depending on the fans' perspective for who gets that third spot.
1: Oh, wow. And do you think that if DeMello or Logan Stanley were left unprotected, they'd be the most likely players to get selected by Seattle?
0: For me, I look at Mason Appleton up front, and I've tried to look at lists that Ryan Clark and Eric Dujacic make at The Athletic from Seattle's perspective. And it seems, without knowing, that the the there will be enough defense and enough depth on defense that... Seattle won't need to make a swing at a Dylan DeMello or a Logan Stanley so much, but there won't be as much depth on forward. Mason Appleton being kind of a middle six power forward, maybe an ideal third line or a lower end second line player. Um, I think that that might be more appealing just based on what is available market-wise. So I think that that's how how it ends and that maybe some of this consternation over Stanley versus DeMello will be overdone. But if Winnipeg makes alternate arrangements, trades a forward, anything else like that, then all of a sudden it's those two, and uh, and they're so philosophically different. DeMello being smaller, positional, subtle. Logan Stanley being six foot seven, violent, scored two goals in the playoffs. Um, so it's it's a fascinating side argument uh, that's been going on in Winnipeg for the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, I'm so fascinated by this whole Seattle thing and how it'll play out. Mason Appleton, by the way, add him to the list of players who got on the top power play before Nikolai Ehlers this year. There were a few games where he got some games, so maybe Ehlers will be happy to have him out of the way. Maybe uh, Stasny doesn't resign. <laughs> At some point, they have to try to put him there. Okay, so we were talking about some players who had career years this year, Ehlers, uh, Mark Shifley like I said. Uh, another name that really came out of nowhere, someone I didn't even ask you about last year, was Andrew Kopp. He's kind of like Winnipeg's version of Jared McCann. My last interview was with Jesse Marshall about the... uh, the Penguins and like McCann just had been around the league for a while. He'd been on the Penguins for a while. Then out out of nowhere, he has this like huge season or at least second half of the year. And like, of course, uh, Andrew Kopp, kind of a similar thing. He's been on the, he's 27 years old. He's never surpassed 30 points in his five seasons with the Jets coming to this year. Then he went on a torrid run early in the season, another big run from like mid arch to mid April, including that big four goal game versus Vancouver. And in the end, he had 39 points in 55 games. It's a 58 point pace. So something no one would have predicted. Do you have any idea where this explosion from? from cop came from? Like, did you see this coming at all? And just like, you know, it was my bad for not asking you about him last year.
0: Well, I've been arguing for cop's usage in the top six in Winnipeg since the summer of 2019. But even I did not see the size of that offensively. So from my perspective, here was a guy that is so good defensively and so good positionally in an offensive sense that he's been a play driver for a, a number of years. And also when he's been able to play with skilled players from time to time, not traditionally his role, he's usually been with Adam Lowry and whether it's Brandon Tanev, Vuel Armia, or Mason Appleton this season, oftentimes he's in a checking role. But when he has played with those higher end offensive players, he's usually been able to chip in a little bit. You can go back and find a, a points per 60 that's flattering for Andrew Kopp going back a few seasons. So I've been arguing that on a team with some real high-end skill, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, Patrick Line at the time, and none of those players are real sandpaper-y guys, a a player like Kopp who can control the two-way flow of play and have just enough hands to contribute from time to time would be a great way to break up all that skill and and that lack of sandpaper. But then the thing that Kopp did was he's trained with Adam Oates for the last couple of summers, as far as I'm aware. Um, He's put a tremendous focus on an offensive push. And I think he genuinely found evolution in his game as a 26-year-old, a 27-year-old player that went beyond my little idea of just promote him and you'll see how good he is at possession. He'll be in those right spots. And when he played with Paul Stastny and Nick Eulers at the top of the season, he was the one showing up on the doorstep at just the right time. He was driving the middle of the ice. He, he was one of the league's leaders in individual expected goals for a little while just because all of his shots were from two feet away from the net because he was going to the net at the, at the right time. And he was finishing for the first time in, in his career. So do I think he's going to be a 58-point pace guy forever? I honestly think that no. I, I, I can't see that being it. But he's much better than that bottom six guy that's been buried for a long time. And he's full value for, for taking those steps and then delivering on the opportunity he got.
1: And do you think that he gets that opportunity again next year? Like, yeah, I'm looking at the splits now and you could clearly see, like he started the season playing a lot with Ehlers and Shifley and he had 12 points in his first 14 games. Then it slowed down a little bit when he was playing with Lowry and Appleton, which obviously makes sense. So I'm thinking through the top six right now. So let's say they do like, you know, Wheeler, Shifley, Connor, and then Ehlers, Dubois, and like someone, I don't know if uh, Paul Stassi is coming back or if they're signing someone. Do you think If you were a betting person, do you think Andrew Kopp starts the year in the top six?
0: Well, without a signing of some kind, and I honestly don't think, I'm not yet at the point where I'd rule out Paul Stastny for Winnipeg, as much as I think that he's at the point of his career where, like, gosh, he he wants to win that Stanley Cup, and there'll probably be a real focus on a contender if he can arrange one for himself. Um, But without that type of signing, or without some complete surprise, like Cole Perfetti going ham a year or two before we'd expect of him. I think Andrew Kopp would be a viable player to put in that top six role with, say, Dubois and Ehlers, if that's how the lines go. And I think then what you'd see is that two-way possession game complementing more skilled forwards as opposed to just finishing everything, having four goals nights. I don't think he's going to have too many four-goal nights in his career, but I do think he can hang with those guys and should be one of Winnipeg's first options for that role. If handedness dictates otherwise, then Mason Appleton could be the guy as well because he's got a bit of power forward element to him
1: right well he's going to seattle so we don't have to <laughs> worry about him uh okay so yeah add andrew Kopp, by the way to the list of players to watch maybe kind of like what you said about morrissey like we have to see like what the lineup's going to look like on opening night but i think going to your fantasy drafts i don't think anyone i think everyone's going to agree with you that he's probably not the 58 point pace guy that he was this past season but i think that if it looks like he could hold on to that top six spot then you think that should be pretty good if he's playing with the best forward nikolai ehlers of course a uh, cop i see is an rfa by the way what kind of contract do you think the jets are looking to sign him for he's obviously just earned himself a few mil. If you say that line, he left money on the table. Maybe he left that money for Andrew Kopp to pick up.
0: <laughs> yeah, well said. And I think he is in line for a big raise. I mean, two years ago, he went to arbitration. And, you know, I think it's 2.28 mil is what he got in that deal. Um, Winnipeg came in at 1.5. He was asking for, for more than that, obviously. They didn't quite split it exactly down the middle. And then he outperformed that deal. I mean, players get paid for, for, for points and for ice time. And he's been inside the top six in terms of ice time for two straight seasons. And now you have this 58-point pace that he put together this year. So I think if you're Andrew Cobb, you can point to you know a list of comparables. And I've dug into this just on a superficial level so far, looking at you know 10 or 12 fours with really close ice time and 10 or 12 fours with really close production to Andrew Cobb. And I think he can make the argument that he's looking at something that starts with a four in terms of you know four million in that sort of range. And if he can get even more than that. Now suddenly, for the first time ever in his career, because he's outperformed his contract, I think every year that I watched him play, I started covering the Jets in 2017. Um, For the first time, you might actually have to ask the question, can he produce enough to be worth that contract? Either way, I think he's earned it. um, And I think he's at uh, such an interesting inflection point because with RFA status, he's eligible for UFA status as soon as next season. So if you're Andrew Cobb, Are you looking for another arbitration deal and that's going to be a one-year term and take you straight to unrestricted free agency? Or are you in Winnipeg able to work out something that's going to be long-term and pay you a premium for those unrestricted years that you're giving up? And I think that his contract could take so many different shapes depending on what he wants as a person, what the Jets are willing to give. Um, So he's a player to watch. He's absolutely a player to watch this offseason
1: if you were the jets would you like offer him like a four by four kind of contract or would you rather just give him the one year deal and then see what happens when it becomes a free agent like unrestricted
0: for me i i see some value in that four by four because but here's the i believe he delivers value on that contract by being a good two-way player and chipping in offensively i don't think he delivers value on that contract like we've said by scoring 60 points a year and that's that's the issue. I think defense gets underpaid in the NHL, so I think he'd earn it defensively, but at the same time, you might find players that would outproduce him offensively um, and, and wonder if you're getting value on that. So I think that's a great question. I think I sign him. I value the player. I value the, the leadership role he's taking with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but if he asks for too much of a premium, now Winnipeg's in an awkward spot.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, even if he gets a top six spot next year, it probably won't last for too, too long because you brought him up. Cole Perfetti is the top prospect on the team at this point. I'm very curious to get your take on him and how long it's going to be before we see him. So he was picked 10th overall in 2020, uh, just played his first season as a, as a pro with the Manitoba Moose uh, 26 points in 32 games. Uh, he also had a strong world junior championship, six points and seven games for Canada. So I, I'm assuming I'm correct that the jets are very happy that they made this pick. Like they're not having any regrets. What what do you think of his age nineteen season, and when do you think that we'll get to see him play his first game in the big leagues?
0: Yeah, the Jets would be delighted by Cole Perfetti dropping to them at tenth overall, and then seeing what Cole Perfetti did this season as well. I mean, he wasn't on that top line for Team Canada, but within the context that he played and playing, you know, he was semi-quarterbacking that top power play for Team Canada and, and did well at that. And then you sort of started to wonder, okay, well, if he's not one of the top two or three players on that particular team, how's he going to do when he plays against men in the American Hockey League for the first time? He's an undersized guy, his skills are all hands and brain, like he just outthinks opponents into submission, it's like boa constriction in slow motion on the ice. Um, and could he do that, in fact, against people that much older, stronger, more experienced than him? At the beginning of his year in the AHL, most of his points were from the man advantage or overtime, you know, uh, situations that weren't necessarily five on five. And then as the year continued, something goes off in his brain. The game slows down for him. And he's able to push almost to a point per game pace by years. And he went on a torrid streak. Um, I think it was the month of March, but we got to look game by game. He, He did have some real torrid parts of his season. And now you're wondering, can this guy play in the NHL as soon as next year? Traditionally, Winnipeg would slow play him, but look at his age. You pointed it out. He's 19 years old. His birthday is January 1st. So in a year, please, without a pandemic and with all of the leagues running, ideally, he's tradi- he's a CHL or NHL player. He can't go back to the American Hockey League in a traditional year. If the OHL is running, it's either the uh, his OHL team or Or the NHL. And that puts Winnipeg in an awkward spot because he just showed that he can hang with men in the AHL. He just showed he can take that spot. Is he going to be too good for the OHL? Are there going to be bad habits creeping in? Or or what, what could you expect from that? And so for me, that gives him... Just a puncher's chance, is that what they say? A I, I don't know my boxing terminology, but he's got a shot, an outside shot at making the NHL team maybe a year earlier than you might otherwise think just because of, of what he's been able to take advantage of over the last year. And if he does, well, then you got to watch out what usage he gets. I mean, he has the hands to hang on a power play if Winnipeg's willing to give that time to him. He's a real special player. I just didn't think we'd see it quite so soon.
1: Yeah, it seems like crazy for him to go back to the CHL, like you said, <laughs> like after he did so well in the AHL. You don't see that too often. Uh, yeah, so he's obviously someone that Jets fans can be really excited about. Aside from him, I, I guess I let's end the show. I'll ask you about a couple other uh, prospect forwards. I, want to, I don't want to miss anybody. I don't want to have another situation like Andrew Kopp, where I miss out on a player who actually does make somewhat of an impact. Uh, like Last year, we talked about Christian Vesselinen. You said he wasn't ready yet to be a full-timer. He got 12 games in, for what it's worth, only had an assist. Uh, like, Is he the top forward defen- uh, prospect after Cole Perfetti? Or maybe is it uh, David Is he the other one that jumps to mind. He was the 60th overall pick in 2018. 19 points in 22 games with the Moose this season after a strong showing in Sweden to start the year. Are those the two names, or is there someone else, or is it just is this like a sad state of affairs? There's not too many good forward prospects. I know there's not of good defense prospects, but those two guys, I I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong and I'm being too low on them.
0: Well, I think it's uh, I, I think you painted it accurately. It's the opposite from Winnipeg's prospects to the NHL team, where you know the NHL team has produced. Uh, so many high-end forwards over the last several years that were their own draft picks, whether it started with Patrick Laine, who has now become Carol Dubois, Jack Roslovic had been a good pick, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, Mark Scheifele, et cetera. But now a lot of those forwards are in the prime of their career, and there's no next wave. You know, the prospects are really all on defense. So Christian Veselinan, I don't see him as emerging as as a real top-six scorer in the NHL at this stage. I think he... um, I think he's fighting to reestablish that as a ceiling for him. That said, he does maintain the big body, the, a certain amount of speed, a good shot. If he's, if he's ever able to get in a position to take advantage of those, that shot, he will be able to score a little bit. Um, I see him as fighting for a bottom six job next year, and I'm beginning to hesitate on what I think his ceiling is, even though uh, he's certainly a young enough player to, to really reestablish those high-octane hands that he demonstrated in Finland a couple of years back. David Gustafson's a one that he may not be on the radar quite yet, especially from a fantasy perspective. But I think of him as Andrew Kopp of the future in a lot of ways. In the second round of 2018, Winnipeg needed a hit because they traded their first rounder away for Paul Stastny. They needed a player who was going to make the NHL. And he had such a two-way acumen, even as a, as a young player, that there was a the thought that he would do that. And I think he gets miscast now. I think people don't realize that there's offense to his game. And he's a big, strong guy, most of a point per game at a young age in the AHL. That's the kind of guy you can usually project forward. I would like to see him get an NHL job. And then after, uh, after those two guys, you're really right. The, the real excitement happens on defense, I think, if you're Winnipeg's prospects.
1: Right, though maybe Cole Perfetti is going to be so awesome that they won't even have to worry about anyone else, <laughs> at least for the short term. And, and yeah, like we've talked about there, the top six on Winnipeg seems pretty solid. It's just the defense that they need to improve. So hopefully uh, beyond even Ville Hainala, maybe like Sammy Niku or Dylan Sandberg could also establish themselves. That'd be nice. I know you said last year that uh, Sammy Niku is someone who you're starting to lose a little faith in this year. What happened with Sammy Niku this year? By the way, like uh, I don't see anything about him being injured, but he didn't play at all. Was he just like a, scratched all season?
0: yeah you know essentially <laughs> you know they they gave him i think a game uh you know with josh morrissey playing top minutes and, and he just got buried in them it, it wasn't an ideal scenario for him um and i've I begun to think that you know he and the organization may just be putting a good face on a on a bad situation for him at this stage Uh i saw um Oh geez, I, I gotta get this right. I saw one of the, you know, established insiders talk about him moving on, perhaps this offseason. I reported last fall that maybe he would be thrown into any trades the Jets made. Like I think that his chapter here may be moving towards an end and, and certainly when you know injuries hit to other players, he tends to get passed over. So I don't think Sammy Niku is the player to watch in terms of a, an explosion anytime soon for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, Dylan Sandberg, what I'd like to see from him is, is a real starring year in the AHL, maybe a, one of those 40 games in the AHL, 40 in the NHL type of years um, as he transitions and looks to make that next step as well.
1: Okay, yeah, and it'll be cool. Maybe Sammy Niku with a fresh start could do well somewhere else. Okay, so the time has flown by. This has been so fun, Murat. I guess I'll end this interview just like I did last year. Uh, no pressure. You crushed this question last year. But if, uh, once again, if you were to pick one jet this season, that you expect to be like a positive surprise to people who maybe they aren't expecting that much from the guy, then he's going to surprise them. And then on the flip side, again, uh, who's going to be the uh, Kyle Connor, which again was like with all due respect, of course, like a player that maybe isn't going to do as well as people are hoping for when they draft them.
0: Wow, um, you know this. Is, I feel like it's tougher this year because I feel like the world is learning about Nick Ehlers. I still mm-hmm. want to say that he may be able to deliver more than the world thinks because, like we've discussed, you know he's doing all that he's doing with with not really regular power play time. So that's that's one, especially in leagues where positions um, where people get multi position eligibility because he often shows up as left wing slash there's, right wing. There's yeah. advantages there. Um, Similarly, Pierre-Luc Dubois, you're looking for that bounce back. Do I see a surefire sign that it's going to happen? No, I'm not saying bet on that bounce back, but he's one to watch. Also, you get oftentimes center slash winger eligibility from him, so that can be useful. Um, I think, and then Kyle Connor. I mean, like, you know, you talked about a 73-point pace, and we're talking like it's disappointing, and it kind of is if, if you were expecting him to just add 10 points every single season, but I think that's his range at this stage, so... What am I doing right now? I, I'm just hemming and eyeing around ar- around the question. So a real potential positive surprise. I'll shoot from the hip with less confidence this year. And let's say that Winnipeg finally gives Ville Hainala, finally, he's still a young guy, pardon me, but like finally gives Ville Hainala a top four job, regular even strength time. Maybe some of that puck movement turns into uh, more points than you'd expect. And then maybe, maybe for a disappointment, I'll go with Blake Wheeler, who isn't the guy we've talked too much about today. And not because he's not just an immensely capable player. He quarterbacks that power play very well. But at some point, his five-on-five production has to fall off. He's going to be 35 when the season starts. And he's already, and like he used to be, and I say this without hyperbole, one of the top five, six five-on-five five players in the National Hockey League. And I, I'll go to war for that argument. I don't think most people realize that. And it was when he got power play time on that line a and shifley unit and he was quarterbacking it that his points finally exploded and we recognized him. Well, now his five-on-five five production looks more like a second-line player and he's aging. So can he keep it at that second-line rate? Will it drop to a third-line rate? At some point, the bottom's going to drop off. I don't think we're there yet, but i got to guess. i got to give you something, and that's uh, that's what I'll go with.
1: I think that's fair. Yeah. Looking at Wheeler, like, so these past two seasons, he's had the exact same point pace around 75 points. But one, like, I guess, concerning thing that I see here is his shots on goal per game have really, like, started to plummet. Like, four years ago, when he had that 91-point season for the first time, he was shooting, like, three shots a game. Then it fell to 2.8, then 2.5, then this past season, 2.3. So, at some point... You know, it's going to be hard to put up the points if he isn't putting the shots on net. So I guess that's something to watch out for. Also, I see his ice time went down this year. He was like around 19. Well, he was like around over 20 minutes for those two 90-point seasons. then these past two seasons, he was 19.19. Uh, and then here, like 18 minutes and 20 seconds. So do you think that Wheeler is going to continue to have his like, ice time go down?
0: Well, I think that there's probably a good case to be made. But we should keep his ice time in context. He would play through a unique situation this year playing through cracked ribs. And it seemed oh, wow. yeah. he was still getting major minutes during the first portion of his struggles. And then they backed off of his ice time. And and so I think that's part of where his reduction comes from. That said, again, being 35 years old, like maybe this is a middle six excellent player instead of a top line star, and It might be time for that ice time to sort of reflect that as well. So that's one to keep an eye on. And I, and I think that, maybe what he got this year will, will be a little bit closer to what he gets next year than say 20 plus like he did for so long.
1: Right. Okay. That makes sense. I'm seeing, I'm just looking at into Wheeler now. He ended the season with 14 points in his last 11 games. When he came back from that injury, he was on fire. So maybe that was a, uh, something that the Oilers weren't expecting. And then, you know, he brought that hot pace into the playoffs, but okay. I've taken up enough of your time rod again. Once again, this has been so fun chatting with you. Uh, obviously people are going to want to hear more from you. So uh, do you want to tell people where they can keep up with all your great work?
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. And, Thank you for being so kind. Uh, On Twitter, it's WPG Murat, M-U-R-A-T. I claim to be the only Murat from Winnipeg and (laughs) think that that's true. Uh, And then, of course, it's at The Athletic. So that's where I cover the Winnipeg Jets. That's where the deep dives come out. That's where the long-form feature stories come out. And, you know, I do video analysis. I do analytic dives. And I just tell stories as well. So, you know, ideally, if you're interested in Winnipeg Jets topics, you'll swing by The Athletic Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll link to that in the show notes and definitely I, I highly recommend people subscribe if they haven't yet to the Athletic. A lot of the people we've talked to are from the Athletic and for good reason. Like great talent and you're like the best that there is for Winnipeg Jets articles, that's for sure. So yeah, thanks so much again. Have a great night. Good luck to the Jets next year. I guess first I should say good luck to them in this off season. Hopefully they'll uh, make all the ten improvements that you said they need to make.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's just a, just a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much again to Murat Atesh for joining us today to share all of his wisdom about the Winnipeg Jets. I really enjoyed that chat. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you're enjoying this Beat Writer series. This was number seven, which means we have 25 more to go if we're going to be able to collect all 32 teams, including Seattle, once they draft a team, which is coming soon. And I guess soon my interviews won't involve a section of trying to predict what Seattle's going to do. So that'll be a fun change. And I guess also at some point I'll stop trying to predict what's going to happen in free agency. So yeah, the NHL season is now officially over congrats to the tampa bay lightning but of course now the off season begins which is a really fun time if you're playing fantasy especially if you're playing in dynasty leagues uh, okay so yeah thanks everyone for, for listening like i said thanks so much to the patrons of keeping carlson for all of your support and for being so fun on the discord server that we have uh, if you're interested in hanging out with the patrons at uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more info we'll of course take a follow on twitter and we'd love to also hear from you on twitter at keeping carlson we'd love to get any feedback thoughts on what you think we can do differently episodes you'd like to hear in the summer brian and i are going to start prepping our summer series reflecting back on the past season you know looking at the numbers under the hood seeing what we got right seeing what we got wrong so yeah there's a lot coming so make sure you're still subscribed to keeping carlson all throughout the summer to get all the beat writer interviews all the content everything we have we're gonna try our best to give it to you but with that let's cue the outro music and i'll go ahead and read you the credits which are pretty basic we got the outro music which was created by pat roach our logo art is by brandonweeb.com And I did some research today using cap friendly, evolving hockey, frozen tools. I should probably say frozen tools first. It's my first place where I go to research for these shows. Uh, And then of course the athletic reading articles by Murat Atesh. And I'm sure he would have even cooler sources to share if he was here because he actually talks to the players and the coaches because he's a beat writer, which is why we talk to these beat writers every single week. So yeah, that's it for today. Not sure exactly when our next episode will be and what it'll be about but it'll come before you know it and until then just remember that fantasy hockey
0: is for everyone